0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Habakkuk. Um, Interesting interesting fellow, this prophet. Uh, This particular book was written by Habakkuk. It's uh, about 580, I don't know, 612, 588 B.C., before Christ. Thank you. Uh, The setting was in Babylon, and they were becoming a dominant world power, and Judea, who is who Habakkuk was... Uh, ministering and speaking, and the prophet for uh, really knew that there was uh, there was something coming, and it was called the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, basically, you guys were about to take over. Uh, they were a destructive force. And so Habakkuk, as a prophet, gets this dream, this vision from God. It's called the Oracle. I'll give you a couple of verses about that in a second. You can write down uh, if you would like um, and put them in there for you. But Habakkuk really had this burden. And so because of this burden, he felt compelled to, to really speak to that truth and to tell people what God had shown him. But I want you to know that Habakkuk was also <laughs> Habakkuk was also, he was a whiner. And he was and, and he and he kind of I don't know if he was a half empty, half full, but it looks like he was half empty glass of water, always looking at that. And it looked like there was um, some things that he had problems with with the Lord, which I'll give you a little reference to that as well in just a few minutes. So with that, if you want to turn to, uh, well, let's start out in chapter 2. That's a good spot to start out. Chapter 2, uh, this is Habakkuk and this is, uh, we'll go through a few few verses and then I'll kind of, you'll get the picture. I will climb up to the watchtower, and I will stand my guidepost. This is verse 1. There I'll wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Do you get why I said that Habakkuk was a com- complainer and a whiner? I will go up to my watchtower, going to stand guardpost, going to see what the Lord says about all the stuff I've been saying to him. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that the runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for the future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They're open, they open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. But soon, their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits the thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You become, you become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly, your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all that you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered the many nations, now the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you, who build big houses with money gained dishonest, dishonestly, dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. By, but by the murders. You committed. You have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones, listen, the very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised the wealth of the nations will turn to ashes? Thy work so hard, but all in vain." 15 on down to 20. With sorrow awaits you, you, when sorrow awaits you, you must wake your neighbor, neighbors drunk. You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will turn to disgrace. Come drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. This whole passage, Habakkuk describes what's his answer from God. And he lists some sins in this that I really think correlate to today's time. Now, obviously, the Bible is pretty timeless. It still has incredible application in this day and time, correct? But when you see what's happening here, it's going like, why do they get away with that? Why did they get away with all the things they got? But correlate it to today in the application. Why, why, why do people who do bad get away with some of the things they're getting away with? Why is this happening with government? Why is this happening with our world? What is the value system in which we live and, by the way, how that has changed? Does this not sound like our nation and like some of the things going on in our nation today? Why does there seem to be violence in America? Why is it that we turn on each other? It's been a couple years ago now, but When I moved to Fayetteville, uh, actually, that's not been a couple years. That's been 17 years. I go by football seasons. So this is um, our 18th football season here. Thank you very much. Go Razorbacks. So two years ago, I get called to duty, jury duty. So I really don't want to go to jury duty, not because I'm not patriotic and don't love my land. I just really didn't have time. So I thought, okay, minister conservative, believe in the death penalty, I'm going to be out. And then, guess what? I, I knew the district attorney. We went to church together. Surely some lawyer would go like, hey, he's out of here. No. I got picked for jury duty. A murder in Fayetteville, Arkansas, right off Garland in an apartment complex. The young lady that died got stabbed 27 times, not just once or twice to make sure she was dead, 27 times. And I can't help but remember sitting in this room with 11 other people and an alternate and start discussing what this man who took this woman's life what rights he should have or shouldn't have or how long he would stay in prison or not stay in prison. And even though I know it was the lawyer's job on his side to try to somehow make it seem not as bad as it was, it was 27 stab wounds. And I can remember thinking for my kids, because again, a couple of years ago, they were even younger and smaller. Man, what? What world are they going to grow up in? Hey, I expect that in L.A., New York, bigger cities. I was not expecting that in good old Fayetteville, Arkansas, off Garland Street at an apartment complex. Y'all know what I'm saying. And yet that's what Habakkuk was addressing in his time and he said there were seven sins so I want to give you um, these sins there's actually six there's not seven let me give you these sins real quick out of uh, chapter two these is verse five through eight the sin of pride it kind of speaks for itself the sin of pride then it's uh, in chapter in chapter two again verses 9 through 11 it is greed now interesting enough one of the things that Habakkuk said about this, is that it, this seems to be the complaint that he has to God, telling God, hey, here's, here's the problem I have, Lord, with what's going on. And the Lord said, hey, here's the sin that's in the world that is happening and why I have a problem. And then Habakkuk, he's bold. He, he kind of backtalks the Lord. And when I say backtalk, I'm just going to simply say this. Most of us have this incredible reverence for God that, hey, that's God you're talking to. You might want to deal with him a little bit differently. He could, like, zap you or something at any time, right? I mean, that's our... But Habakkuk's very bold in, in speaking to the Lord, going like, hey, God, what's going to change? What, what are you going to do here? There's something... I'm telling people what the problem is. What are you going to do? And so God gives him, hey, here's these, here's these six sins. And by the way, <laughs> these six sins seem, at least according to Habakkuk, They seem to make God irrational because he's continuing to argue with the Lord about what the Lord's not doing. And I'll get to that in just a minute. So we have this sin of pride. We have this sin of greed. Then in uh, verses 12 through 14, you can write down the sin of violence. There's pride. There's greed. There's violence. Um, The number four one is out of 15 through 17. He says, drunk, I'm just going to throw in the word alcohol. And I know you guys will go like, oh, there he is. One of those good gray areas. Here's what my idea is on a gray area. If you have a gray area in your life and you're not sure about sin, don't do it. Well, the Bible doesn't clearly define what that is. Which side do you want to land on? If if it's a gray area and you're not sure, just don't do it. And that's easy for me to say because I'm the pastor and I get to be up here and you don't get to rebuttal and we don't get to look at all the good words and, well, you can drink, but don't be drunk. Hey, I, I'm not sure that I've ever seen anything positive. Listen to me. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything positive in a person's body that alters how they can think or what they can do. Now, in my family, that was even more evident because on my dad's side, my grandpa was an alcoholic, an abuser, and a gambler. So statistics say, what's supposed to happen to me and my brothers and sister? Statistically. We're, we're supposed to go down that same path. But then the curse was broken because Dad met the Lord and decided there's something different. So I'm kind of whining on this for a little bit, for a second. Because even as recent as last night, I saw what just a little bit of alcohol could do. And if you'd love to see it personally, come over to my house and I'll be glad to let you observe. Because we had a party at my house last night with no alcohol. However, I now have a garage door that is almost in my garage because someone was hindered with a little alcohol. You could ask anybody there, the Westford. was I upset? Not Outwardly, even though it was my brand new house with a new garage, I was not upset. Why? I don't expect someone, guys, ladies, I don't expect someone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord to even have a gray area or to understand. I'm not going to go down on Dixon Street and tell those people they're going to hell on a bobsled because they're going into a bar having a drink. Why? They they don't know any different. They don't know anything that's a plumb line for their life that would say something different. And I say that to you because of this. I'm not sitting here giving you these sins to judge us. I'm giving you these sins because these are things that God said hinder our relationship with him. I'm just harping on alcohol because it was really fresh in my mind. In my garage door last night less than 24 hours I'm sure I could get on greed or pride very quickly right easily if it is a gray area in your life this is what I would ask you to do ask God as you read scripture to reveal to you what is okay and what is not okay because God's Holy Spirit lives in you and will tell you and show you what's okay and not okay He'll reveal that to you. He'll let you know that. Why? Because he wants you to be more defined in it than than he even gives definition. Because it's about you and your relationship with him and how you function and how you're holy before him. Right? So, what's the next one? The next one is perversion. I, I, I just, I'm telling you guys that as my kids are growing up, that the things they're exposed to, and even just turning on the radio and listening them sing, it, it's killing me. One of my sons asked uh, Elizabeth, and I think Jenna was in the car too, since Elizabeth's in the room, she can tell me. But there was a song playing on the radio, and it was a uh, a person singing and talking about later on that night getting it. And they turned to Elizabeth and said, hey, what is it? Well, what is it in that particular song? For all of us of a certain age in here, we know what it is. But that's very hard to sit around and turn to you, an 11-year-old or 12-year-old and say, let's talk about it in the car as we're driving in that song, as they're singing it. Okay. Nothing like seeing your 11-year-old and 12-year-old know every word to it, and they're going to get it that night. Are y'all hearing me? Y'all understand what I'm saying? I know it's kind of funny, but at the same time, it's really perverted. Why? Because our world is perverted and sick, and it's full of sin. And God says he calls us to be holy. And Habakkuk was facing the same things, and he was going like, Hey, where are you, God? Where are you for my 11- or 12-year-old and what they're singing? Where are you for, for what's happening in our town? Where are you with some of the politics that seems to be the moral values are just sliding past the side of what we used to used to believe in in this country. Where are you, God? That's what Habakkuk's saying. And the last one is just, it's convicting all over idolatry. What is that? The worship of anything else before God. Putting anything before God. And by the way, that can be your definition of sin as well up at the top of your notes, is anything that we put before, before God. Anything that gets in the way of my relationship with the Lord. I spoke to Euless uh, Trinity Uh, Football team the other night, they were up here playing Bentonville, uh, Euless Trinity's, my old high school in Texas. Uh, The coach there, the head coach there was my 10th grade football coach. He asked me to come speak to the chapel for the team. And I went and spoke to the chapel. And one of the things that I started describing was my testimony and that particular coach in my life at that point in time and what God did with me to show me that anything that's close to God He lets me know that it's close. And for me, at that point in time, it was football. That was close to what I would consider idolatry in my life. And as a result of that, I remember praying with my dad one night, and the next day, going out and blowing out my left knee, all the ligaments in my left knee, and sitting in the hospital that night, and my dad saying, Hey, you remember that prayer we prayed the night before? Lord, however you want to get glory, whatever you want to do with my life, whatever that works out. And I shared with him that football had become my God. And because I had a relationship with him, he wanted me to know early on that he wanted to be my God. Not football. And if you're really his child this morning, he'll let you know that and he'll remind you of that in your life. And so you have these, these six sins, pride, greed, violence, alcohol, perversion, idolatry. Those six sins is what Habakkuk addressed in that day and time. In Psalms eighty-nine, nineteen, let me flip to it real quick so you guys can. You don't have to flip to it. I'll just do it. Eighty-nine, nineteen. It says this: Long ago, you spoke in a vision to your faithful people. You said, "I have raised up a warrior. I have selected him from the common people to be the king." And then in Hosea, this is. Uh, let me give it to you. Hosea twelve, ten. I sent my prophets to warn you with many visions and parables. So those two verses are what we're talking about with prophets, and we're talking about particularly Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was a prophet that was to be sent to tell the people, here's what you need to know, and this is what God is saying. I'm not calling myself a prophet this morning. I'm nearly uh, just giving the best understanding of what Scripture says to you guys so that you can understand what Habakkuk was facing at that time and what God called him to do. Now, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. I wouldn't call myself a prophet, but I can read what the prophet says. And he said, these were the sins that caused a problem. And then he started started arguing with the Lord about what are you going to do about this, God? Do you all ever feel like that? Don't raise your hands. Do y'all ever feel like, hey, God, what, what are you going to do about my situation? What are you going to do about these people that I work with? What are you going to do about these issues that there seems to be injustice? And that is what Habakkuk addressed. He had this incredible burden that he felt like he needed to give the people. But he thought that, he really thought that, and it comes across in his writing, that everything was too much to handle. I mean, to me, he, he it looks like he was about to have a spiritual breakdown and maybe a nervous breakdown as well. Because he's going like, this is too much, God. You're asking me to do this, to tell the people the truth, and yet here, all, this is a lot of pressure on me. And, and and by the way, I'm not seeing you do your part. Can you imagine telling God that? Hey, God, I know you're the creator of everything. You kind of made everything in existence in seven days. In one of those days, you actually rested, so it was six days, so... But I just want to tell you, God, I got a problem with how you're dealing with this. By the way, y'all ever feel that way? Kind of letting the Lord know, hey, what, what about your part? Lord, Need need you to kind of help me here. And so he, he starts out, in fact, just turn back one chapter in chapter 1. We'll start in verse 2. And so this is what Habakkuk says. <laughs> this is awesome. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Do y'all get, y'all get it? I mean, this is how bold is. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all the misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has been paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that the justice has become perverted. Does that seem sort of par for the course right now? Anybody here in America, or in our community, or for our college students that are here this morning, how many college students you think actually woke up, particularly y'all since y'all are here at the nine thirty one crazies how many college students from a campus of 25,000 are going to go to church today how many of your neighbors when you were driving here to church you know they waved at you as they were grabbing their paper or some of them doing yard work right well you know it's just my day you know, hey, I, I understand recreation. Boating, fishing, bow hunting, that's a big one. I, I, I understand all those things. I, I like them as well. The real question is, how much do I love them? Or really the real question is, how much do we really love God? That's the real question. So Habakkuk says, I think this is in your notes. So Habakkuk says, How long must I call for help? Do you ever feel that way? How long must I call for help? I I know some of you guys personally and some of the things you've been going through the last couple of years. It's like, how long must I call for help? This is how long you need to call for help. As long as it takes. I know y'all get tired of me referencing my dad, and I really don't care. My dad said, son, when you need an answer from God, get your Bible. Sorry for all my Bible study, guys. Y'all hear this all the time. Get my Bible, get you a gallon of water, and go in the woods, and don't come out till you hear from God. In James 4.18, it says, draw near to God. And he will what? Draw near to you. Are you tired of crying out? Keep crying out. How long? As long as it takes. Keep crying out as long as it takes. Do everything and anything possible to hear from God because He wants to speak to you and have a relationship with you more than you even want to have a relationship with Him. And by the way, anybody that's in our small groups, we're going through a series called Jesus Is. And last week, I've never heard this before, uh, the guy in the small small group series that we're watching the video, he, he referred to God loving on us as a groupie. Jonathan, that is irrelevant. I mean, it's not irrelevant. It's, it's irreverent. Why would God, why would he look at us and we and this guy calls him a groupie? Because that's how much God pursues us. Think about a groupie and how he follows a band around and does all that, or a girl follows him around and does just lives for the, lives for that moment to be. That is what God does for us. In fact, he loved us so much, you know what he did? He loved us so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins. That's how much God, our creator, loved us, is that he did that. How long do I have to wait, God? How long do I need to cry out? As long as it takes, keep crying out. Draw near to God, and he says, I will draw near to you. Habakkuk had three issues with God. He had three issues, and here's the issues that he had. He 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 in verse 2 he said, How long? So the first thing that he did is he he accused God of indifference. Hey, God, how long do I have to wait for you? What are you doing up there? And I'm sure God's just up there. Well, I don't have anything to do today. Nah, 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 nah. And that's what Habakkuk said. How long, God? Do you not see what's going on in my life? Do you not see what's going on around me? How long do I got to wait on you? What's your deal, God? He accuses God of indifference. How long? And then he accuses God, verses 2 through 4, of being inactive. Lord, what are you going to do about this? How long and then what are you going to do about it? Fix this problem with my neighbor. Fix this problem with our government. Fix this problem. How long? You know what you need to know about God and what I need to know about God? When we look at time, he, he's not in a hurry. Yeah, but my, my clock's ticking. But think about eternity for God. That's kind of hard to fathom, isn't it? How long? Why, God? God's not in a hurry with that. And then the third one that he gives us out of 5 through 11, he accuses God of inconsistency. He accuses God of inconsistency. Why does it seem as if bad people are blessed? What is your deal, God? What's the deal? And here's... The response that we get from God. God says, Hey, look, open your eyes. I am more concerned, listen to this, please don't miss this. I am more concerned about Jonathan's holiness than I am his happiness. I am more concerned about Dave and Barbara and Darren and Jay and Susie's holiness than I am about their happiness. That's not the American way, God. That's not the way we want it to happen here. We want it to be a nice little bow tied up, and at the end of the day, we all get to ride off into the sunset on our little horses and have a happy ending. That's what it's supposed to be, God. Where does it say that in the Bible? Our happy ending, our ultimate riding off in on the horse in the sunset, is when we're in heaven with God, our Creator, and those who are our family that are other believers, and grandmas and grandpas and uncles and aunts and and, 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 and babies that we didn't get to see grow up because... The Lord had a different plan for them. That is when we rejoice. That is when the Bible says that we are made complete in Him. That's when it happens. The Bible says that our reward is where? In where? In heaven. This whole thing down here is just stuff that's preparing us for heaven. Well, why did he do that? I'm not sure all of why he did it, but he did it. And then he gave us this to tell us how to get through it. And then he said, I don't want you just to get through it. I, I want to love you so much and, and care for you so much that I want you to help others get through it. So that one day we'll all be together in heaven with him rejoicing and bringing glory to his name. Now, I'll admit to you guys, there's some days that here, I don't think I bring much glory to his name. I don't think by my attitude, and therefore my attitude affects my actions, and that affects the behavior. I don't think I'm bringing glory to God. I haven't been facing death personally in a way that I start thinking about, Lord, it would sure be good to be there more than it would be here. But I have been around those who have. And sometimes after a disease or you're tired or you're weary or your life's been full of junk that the world has thrown at you, Lord, is heaven what it says it is? God, is it as good as what it says in the Bible? Because if it is, then that's going to be an incredible place for us. And here, we have to live with the junk that's going on from the world's perspective. And that statement of him being more more desiring of your and my holiness than our happiness can be summed up with with this last statement. If you and I are holy, if we are holy, we will be obedient. And if we are obedient, we will be happy. Because then we're doing what God wants us to do. Right? Then we're submitted to what, what He desires for our life. And when we're submitted to what he desires to our life, for our life, then we are happy. Because that's in fellowship with him. That's doing what he desires. But wait a minute, Jonathan. Here's what's going on. You don't understand what's happening over here and these people and what they're getting. It doesn't matter about them. What God's concerned about is you and I. And that's what he's concerned about this morning. So Habakkuk takes it to God. And God gives him some sin issues to tell the people. Hey, here's these sins. Deal with these sins so that you can become holy. Repent of those sins, get right, and become holy. And when you're holy, you're going to be obedient. And when you're obedient, you're going to find happiness in what God has for you. And he just says to repent and to make it right. And you know what's incredible about our God? What's incredible about our God is that his book is all about restoration. His book is incredible about grace and love. And yet there's this side of God that you go like, well, he's a just God and he's a righteous God and, and he can't look upon us in any other way because of our sin except for the fact that he gave his son Jesus. And when he gave his son Jesus, everything that God looks at through his son Jesus is pure and made holy. Holy. And he says, Have a relationship with my son Jesus. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you're my family. And I will continue to extend the love and the grace and the patience that's needed to do that. Why? Because our God loves us. In fact, what does he say the greatest thing that we can do for others is to show them what? To show them love go, well, how is showing people love telling people about hell? Because I care so much about their soul and eternity that I would be honest enough to tell them the other side of the story. Listen, if I just want to make up whatever I want to out of the Bible and pick and choose whatever I want to out of the Bible, then we would just, I hadn't come up with my own religion yet, but it would definitely have my name in it. Like, you know... Beasley is, I don't know, it, it would have something so I could get glory, right? Have my part. But that's not what, that's not what God says. He says, this is the big church. Not about, not about the church at Arkansas, not about a denomination. It's the big church. It's the kingdom of God. And if we just pick and choose what we want to from the Bible, then it's just our little thing that we pick and choose. And then we just as well make our own religion and do our own thing. He desires for us to be holy. As the band comes up, they're just going to play one last song. Um, My desire for you guys this morning is, listen, if there's any sin problem, make it right with the Lord. Just make it right with Him. If there's an issue that you have with someone, make, make that right with them.